Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is September 29th, 2020. This is episode 308. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And in this week's show, we'll avoid getting into any debates and we will be wearing an earpiece. That's right. We won't let this turn into two old white men talking about things that bore you. Oh, no. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? Scotty, I'm working my way through a raw Coke nectar. Uh, excellent choice. Uh, interesting that you're still kind of going with a, a summer variety. Uh, Jake, I have fully come out of the closet. I have fully transitioned. I am uh, accepting of who I am now as a fall beer aficionado now that we are in the season. Uh, Jake, I am drinking a dogfish head pumpkin ale um and enjoying the uh the cinnamon and nutmeg note uh, through this lovely brown ale so uh highly recommended uh to all out there uh if you want to know what we're drinking on a daily slash weekly basis follow us on untapped you can follow me at magn 8606 i'm at jake e4025 and with that let's go to 280 characters less this week on the twitters so we're going to start off with a tweet from the Orioles. Um, that is a video of um, you know the Orioles coming out uh, on the twentieth of September. Uh, looks like we've got a, a nice little drone shot going on here, um, and the tweet is titled "Bird's Eye View." Whoa, Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! What? What? I mean, what it, does it say? It says "Bird's Eye View." Now, "I" and "View" are in lower case. Um. Jake, I don't think this is going to hold in court. This is a clear example of trademark infringement, and it is besmirching our namesake. Get Major League Baseball, advance media on the phone. We're going to shut this down. I think that's the only way we can get this. Baseball advanced media and Apple worked really hard to throw us off of iTunes. I think we have no recourse other than to try to get the Baltimore Orioles thrown off Twitter and or to get their lovely excellent product of a podcast thrown off itunes jake i hear that if you pay seventy thousand dollars you can get a bunch of russian bots to attack anybody on twitter oh i like this and, all right well let's go to and you get a tax break <laughs> <laughs> let's go to another tweet from the baltimore orioles this one we're not so mad about the baltimore orioles tweeted on uh september 21st as follows in this hashtag fight together so proud of you at trey mancini and this of course is the video of trey mancini uh opening a a gift uh, that the orioles sent him a team picture with some personalized notes from the team listen if you don't have an emotional response while watching that you don't have a heart yeah i mean that is a a classy gesture both from the organization and from his teammates it's something Obviously, that Trey is going to cherish for the rest of his life. Um, you know, it, this has been an emotional journey for him through this this entire year, uh, and you could see kind of the emotion um, swell up. I mean, the eyes again—you didn't see tears, but you could definitely see just a, a lot of emotion kind of 
emanating out. Um, and just a really simple yet touching gesture, just like, you know, giving a broken phone to David Ortiz when he retires. Uh, it, it was just <laughs> a really nice job by the Baltimore Orioles. And again, these are the kind of little things that you like to see um, from the organization um, as opposed to just a, you know, copy and paste um, letter um, indicating and wishing well um, to Trey Mancini. So good job on the Orioles for doing this. Um, and I, I can't wait to see Boom Boom out in Camden Yards next year, um, hitting some dongs onto Utah Street. Okay. Hey, Scotty, let me take the next one. This is a tweet from Locked On Orioles, another fine Orioles podcast you should definitely check out. They tweet, of course, at Locked On Orioles. Which of these players will be hurt the most by their defense when it comes time for the Orioles to make some tough roster decisions? Your choices were Chance Sisko, Pedro Severino, DJ Stewart, and Renato Nunez. And I don't wanna I don't wanna ruin this for you, but it was a tie. It was a tie of responses between DJ Stewart and Renato Nunez. And so Scotty, I ask you. Which of these four players do you think uh, is going to be hurt worst by their defense? I mean, I don't see a role for Renato Nunez going into the 2021 Orioles. Um, you know, Chancisco and Pedro Severino still have those catching duties. Um, I don't think Rutschman's going to be available. I think we all know that. And, you know, DJ Stewart still can play a serviceable outfield, and I think that he may transition more into a DH role but again, I, I had higher hopes for Renato Nunez coming into the season in terms of the power that he displayed last year, um, and that and that certainly vanished. So um, I, I think if I was looking at any of these folks, I just don't see a, a position right now for Renato Nunez. All right, so what I didn't hear there was his defense. You think the fact that he's not – you think basically what I heard you say there is that his bat didn't represent enough this year to make you think that the man without a position – has a role in the team. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I do think that DJ Stewart is probably in that similar regard of like not being an exceptional defensive um, player. But I would also say too, like DJ Stewart had some boneheaded plays, but I would still consider him to be a below average outfielder, but the bat in that short sample size made up for it. So, and again, DJ Stewart's so young still, um, I just, there's no way that DJ Stewart's going to get cut. I mean, there's no chance. All right. All right. I like it. All right. Next tweet uh, comes from ooh, Dan Zembrowski, fellow Fangraphs article uh, art author and, uh, hey, fan of the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, he tweets as follows. Up from me on Fangraphs, I talk about how the O's have a successful season isn't based on exceeding their win totals, but on the stuff they found about their talent. And I think this this article is a really nice one. It, it kind of summarizes a lot of the points that we've been making through the season. Um, the Orioles did a great job this season of, you know, doing a lot of talent assembly, um, both in terms of the trades that they made, but also really assessing their talent um, that they did. They didn't hold on to old players, except for Chris Davis. Um, but again, even for Chris Davis, you know, they in essence made him go away. It is the best way. To, they said, hey, "You're hurt. Go to the injured reserve. Like we're, we're just we're not going to deal with you." Um, there is that aspect of a log jam, as, as Dan mentions, at first base and corner outfield. But the Orioles found a lot of interesting pitchers um, during this season. Um, they still need to find some additional ones, too. But the Orioles learned a lot in terms of who could potentially be um, part of that 2021-2022 package 
um, to get them closer to a playoff. So a really well done article. We'll link it up on the website. Give it a give it a look at. Um, but I think it was a really nice article by Dan Zaborski. All right, sounds good. Well, Scotty, let's uh, let's take a quick break. Maybe refresh our RARS or whatever that swill is that you're drinking, and uh, come back and maybe take a trip around the bases. Sounds good. All right, so Scott, let me ask you, when it comes to the 2020 season, what is it that we just watched? What do you make of the short 60-game season that we got? Ups, downs, lefts, rights, what what, what did you think? So uh, I felt like if I look back at the 2020 season, you know, and came into it and said, it's not really going to be an asterisk season for me. Like, if a team does well, they're going to do well. Um. But looking back at it now, it's hard for me to say that it wasn't an asterisk season. There's a lot of weirdness and oddity that occurred to it. I'll be interested to see how the playoffs go. Um, I, I do actually like the 16-team format. I know it's it's really controversial, um, but I actually really think it potentially is a, a benefit for the league in the long run. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the Orioles, I, I look at it as you know starting off um, the season— really competitive, really interesting baseball. But by the end of the season, going into September, I really feel like the majority of September was like a typical Oriole September, which was it faded into obscurity because there really wasn't good baseball being played on a daily basis. Um, and and that's really where I leave the 2020 season is I don't think it was that much different than we have typically seen with other bad seasons in the past. Yeah, I, I think that there was a lot of really watchable baseball in this season. And to be honest with you, it exceeded my expectation for the amount of watchable baseball of interesting, exciting, gee, you don't know what's going to happen tonight. Baseball. Um, and yeah, I, I also agree that toward the end, you know, it got to be a little bit of the dark ages script there, but there were still enough nuggets of, of joy to watch. So for instance, in a game that they lost, John means, you know, pitched a heck of a game through six innings, right? Which was absolutely worth watching, right? Cedric Mullins would put on an offensive and defensive show that made the games worth watching, right? There were lots of things that the Orioles did in 2020 that were of a higher caliber um, than they had been before. And I also thought that even though we weren't winning a lot of games towards the end, they were playing, uh, you know, the kids, so to speak, to the point where you wanted to tune in to see, well, how's Keegan Aiken going to do, right? How is Hunter Harvey look now that we're actually getting to see him pitch? What are we getting out of Keegan Aiken? That kind of thing. Where, as before, in prior seasons, you know, we have seen boring baseball uh, we've seen predictable baseball and we've seen it with players that we don't necessarily have to care about. I, I didn't think we were going to get more than two weeks out of the 2020 season. Anyway, 
I was clearly very wrong about that and delighted to be so. Uh, so I'll say on, on a whole, I, I would call the 2021 or the 2020 campaign a success. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, and I, again, I was really hard on the Orioles there from a September standpoint. And again, their winning percentage for September was not great. I mean, it was a, a 385 winning percentage. But, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, you're going in to the game against, um, you know, the Mets on uh, September 9th, and you're 20 and 21. Um, so you're one game below 500. I think they were like one and a half games back um, from the Yankees at that given time. And you're like, what if like they play like they did at the very beginning of the season? Like they could potentially get a playoff spot. And like, how weird and wacky would that be? Um, and then they promptly got thumped by the Yankees that weekend and everything like that too. And you know, they never got onto a roll again. I mean, they they never had even back to back wins um, for the rest of September after that point. So I, I think it ended with a thud, um, which is the only thing that I would say was bad. But up until that point, um, you know, through, you know, the end of July to September 9th, there were some really weird and interesting games. Um, And again, there were some really good performances from players like Anthony Santander and DJ Stewart. um, Just some really intriguing players that you weren't expecting to kind of deliver at this given time. Um, And I'd say like at the end of the season, there it was even good stories, like you said, of like seeing a bunch of young pitchers come up. Dean Kramer was a good example. But even seeing John Means, you know, get it together was certainly good. So, you know, I, I kind of come back to that Dan Zembrowski article that he wrote of, I think we learned a lot about um, the 25 and the 40-man roster going into 2021. And I think we have a better understanding now of what is it going to take in order to become a playoff baseball team what are the gaps that we need to fill in order to take that next step? And again, I'm not saying we're going to be like the Dodgers who are unbelievably good right now, but what is it going to take in essence to be like, you know, the Blue Jays or the Rays um, and, and potentially get in there and, you know, maybe get a wild card berth. Um, and I think the Orioles are closer than I believe they were at the very beginning of the season when I predicted that you know, they were only going to win 14 games. Um, so I think overall it's a really encouraging season, um, even though when we look at the win-loss aspect, it's really not that encouraging. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right about pinpointing that Yankees series is, is really the make-break point of the season. It was funny because I, at, when it happened, I kind of let my pessimism go, and I was like, you know what, sure, dare to hope. Let's, you know, cool. We're going into the series of the Yankees. We could very well get out of the series with the Yankees still very much in the hunt for the wild card or in the wild card race. Um, and then they just blew it and they never looked back. And I was like, well, that's, I guess that's what we get for, for daring to hope. But, um, you know, there were points of the season where the Orioles were relevant and exciting. And I think that that only, that only adds to my, you know, excitement for, um, for the next year. Maybe it's because it wasn't a full 162 game season, but I didn't end the season exhausted about baseball, right? They left me wanting more. Um, and that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I, I think that I wasn't exhausted. I will say that I got to this last week and I was just like, all right, I have seen enough, um, to basically make the determinations of what we need to do going into 2021. 
um, I think over 162 game season, it may have been exhausting for us. Um, but in, in this short sample size, um, it was good enough for me to kind of make some assertions and know where we, where we need to go going forward in the future. So let's go to second base and let's talk about one of those individuals for the future. Let's talk about Anthony Santander, who was named the 2020 Most Valuable Oriole. He posted a 131 rated once credit plus, 364 WOBA, um, 575 slugging percentage. He only appeared in 37 games um, because of, again, his injury. Um, but again, Jake, what do you think about Anthony Santander being named the 2020 Most Valuable Oriole? Yeah, I think that it, it's clearly a good choice. You know, an interesting thing to me about the stats that you just threw out there is that he did all of that with just a 240, uh, 248 BABIP, right? So the Luck Dragon wasn't necessarily with him, right? Because the, the league average, I think, for BABIP is about 290 or, or something in that, that range. So he was actually not getting the, the you know, luck of the bounce, the, the benefit of the, of the Luck Dragon. And so to put up numbers like that, I think, is a good sign. Um, Anthony Santander is somebody that has moved from an afterthought to, I think, a pivotal bat in this lineup. And you, you got to love that. You got to love seeing a guy come in, you know, one of those joke uh, rule, fifth, uh, rule, rule five draft picks from Dan Duquette. And this guy may for real have the the talent uh to play in the league and to be a, a meaningful complementary player on a good team uh i'm so excited to see what we're going to get from anthony santander moving forward let me ask you this scotty i don't remember santander's defense being an issue at any point in the season right am, am i missing any you know, key games or series where you look at it and you go, gosh, I wish uh, Santander had been DHing rather than in the outfield. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that if you look at it um, from a from a fielding standpoint, I wouldn't say that he was a great outfielder, but I would certainly say that um, he he held his own is the best way to describe it. I mean, I can pull up his UZR, but overall, I, I think he over he did a pretty good job, all things considering to be out there in right field. Um, I think he did some major improvements in terms of positioning. I mean, I can think back to previous seasons where he, in essence, grabbed the ball and then just chucked it into the ground in that right field corner. So I think overall, yes, I was very happy with Anthony Santander um, across the board in terms of fielding um, as opposed to hitting. Um, I I, I hate to say this, though. I I feel, though, like as good as Anthony Santander was this year, um, I don't know if I would have voted for him as most valuable Oriole. Okay, let me just wrap up the uh, the defense point there, and then we can move on. Um, I, I, you know, obviously love what Santander can do with the bat, and I agree with you that he will never be a plus defensive player. All I need is him to not hurt us, and I think we consistently saw it, saw that this year. Yeah, and so, I think coming back to that aspect from a defensive standpoint, I would rather see Anthony Santander out there in right field than I would Trey Mancini. Um, I think that Santander offered more to me in terms of arm strength and everything than I would have seen so far to date with Trey Mancini. I think Trey Mancini is, you know, a first baseman. I know he can play the outfield, but again, they said the same thing about Chris Davis. Going forward, I want to see Anthony Santander in right field um, going forward. Um, And I I don't really want to see anybody else for the given time period. All right. I like it. So, 
you clearly have no issue with Santander. You think he was a fine player this year, but you say you wouldn't have voted for him for most valuable Orioles. So, Scotty, who is your most valuable Oriole? Look, you know, Anthony Santander had a great story. I mean, he has a, a good kind of comeback story. Um, I really enjoyed, you know, watching him to play. He led the team in home runs. Uh, actually, Renato Nunez leapfrogged him recently, um, but Santander had 11 home runs. Um, in, in just that 37 game period of time. But if I'm looking for someone that I really felt made potentially more of an impact, I'm looking at Jose Iglesias. You know, it's an individual that came onto the team. We considered him just to be kind of a defensive, you know, stalwart. And he came out and posted a 160 weighted runs created plus, along with an exceptional defense um, out there at shortstop. And yes, I realize Jose Iglesias was hurt um, for a lot of games. But he did play in 39 games out of the 60 for the entire season. Um, so I, I look at that and I look at the amount of games he played and I say to myself, Jose Iglesias really dealt with a lot of crap um, this year. And even when he was hurt and you could see him kind of having issues with his hamstring, he still went out there and played every single day that he could in order to help the club out. And I really feel like that's what, you know, what I'm looking for for our most valuable Oriole. Um, and, and again, he would probably be my selection at this given time. When you say that he dealt with a lot of crap, you mean that he had to play for the Baltimore Orioles, right? Both, yes. Mental and physical anguish. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think uh, Jose Iglesias is a great choice. I think he absolutely made a, a case for himself. What a surprise. Absolutely. right? And especially, you know, you look at, we, we uh, mocked the Orioles openly for thinking that Jonathan VR was too expensive, right? Yep. They're not going to pay the $10 million for, for uh, VR. So, you know, boo-hoo, the Orioles are letting go of a decent player. They picked up for a King's ransom, you know, for, for ne- not next to nothing, but for a very affordable price, Jose Iglesias, who gave them uh, yeah. everything you could have hoped for. Yeah, for, th- and, uh, for $3 million, you basically got a, a really great player out there. And again, he was hurt a lot. Um, but again, even in those 40 games that he played, he still posted a 1.6 F war. I mean, that is just great value. Um, and, and again, looking forward to 2021, the Orioles have a club option on Jose Iglesias. They can pick him up again for another $3 million. I mean, I understand money is tight, but you look at that and you say, by gosh, like I'll pick him up for $3 million if just to trade him at the next trade deadline. So I, I understand, um, you know, we could be entering into another situation for VR. And, but I look at this and I say, this seems like an obvious um, monetary spend for the Orioles where $3 million is, is basically a small chunk of change. Um, and I think the Orioles saw this year um, under the Elias regime that they can turn um, maybe scrap um, is a good way to describe it into um, relative value. So I, I think the Orioles jump on that that club option and, and offer him that value. It'll be interesting to see if Jose Iglesias can have a similar performance over a longer period of time in 162 game season. My my thought is probably the answer is no, um, because he's never been this good before. Um, but my gosh, like if you could get exactly like we've seen for previous seasons outside of this one of 1.6 war, 2.5 war, 1.7 war for $3 million and solidify the rest of the defense out there in, in on the infield, 
I'm making that deal immediately as the Baltimore Orioles. So he's my most valuable Oriole. Um, but when I think about it of like the media voting, I think Anthony Santander had more of those wow moments where Jose Iglesias was more of that. I constantly show up every single day and put forth an effort. All right. Um, all right. So let's move into third base. I want to talk about the outfield picture. Um, you know, the outfield was something that I was pretty concerned about at the beginning of the season. Coming into the season, I complained loudly that the outfield depth on the on the active roster and in the 60-man pool was very thin. You know, I made some some mean-spirited remarks about Mason Williams. Uh, that really doesn't appear to be the case now, does it? I mean, let's just look at that outfield. We've already talked about Anthony Santander. Uh, the rest of the outfield includes uh, guys like Austin Hayes, uh, Trey Mancini, and then, you know, a group that I call the rest, which is, you know, Ryan Mountcastle could be considered for to be an outfielder. DJ Stewart. Don't forget the fact that we've got Cedric Mullins, who seems to have resurrected his career, whether he's a starter or a fourth outfielder. And knocking on the door, you've got a guy like Gasniel Diaz, who, again, I, I hope turns into something because uh, we parted with Manny Machado for him and others. But we've gone from a situation in which we were, it seemed, cupboard empty in the outfield to not necessarily, you know, having having a, an embarrassment of riches, but it's not as dire as it looked by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, um, from an outfield standpoint, you know, I think you know i had certainly written off cedric mullins completely and absolutely I mean, you you look at cedric mullins um in, in terms of what he put out there um and again you look at his offense performance and it's kind of meh um you know it's in the mid 70s i think last time i checked um but you look at the actually i take that back cedric mullins was a 95 weighted runs created plus over this season so i mean you look at that you look at the defense that he was putting out there i mean it's there's a lot of encouraging aspects. I mean, um, I I think the one thing we're going to have to get over, um, a, as it is Orioles fans, is Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins are not going to be the next Adam Jones. Um, they just don't have that talent set and or skill set to be um, that kind of player. But that's okay. Like, your center fielder doesn't have to be a superstar but if they can, in essence, be a really good defensive center fielder and solidify your corner outfielders that can help turn into really good players, then that's something else. So uh, I'm going to be really interesting to see how this goes. Um, we talked about Austin Hayes and his his injury woes in the past. Cedric Mullins makes me feel a lot better in terms of a tandem of Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins. Um, and again, the Orioles have a history in terms of platooning um, outfielders. So I could easily see Cedric Mullins being that fourth outfielder and potentially coming in, as I talked about before, as a corner outfielder in a, you know, a defensive role in the future um, and or, you know, filling in for Austin Hayes when he is injured. So um, that is a great story uh, for Cedric Mullins. He, in essence, resurrected his career. And I'm really looking forward to you know, seeing him wherever we can see him going forward in 2021. You know, all that's a, a really good point. And, and you know, you, you talked earlier, again, about not really wanting uh, Trey Mancini to play the outfield, um, preferring his bat to, to be elsewhere on the lineup. You know, Ryan Mountcastle is in the, in the same vein. But I think going back to the conversation of, you know, does this player hurt you defensively or can they play adequately? 
I think the Orioles have a stable of outfielders at this point that they can they can depend on and it won't hurt them, right? And so they've got adequate defense. They've got plus offense in almost all of them. And, uh, you know, again, we're not going to be scraping at the bottom of the player pool barrel moving forward. I, I think that the outfield has been a great uh, area of, if not improvement, you know, because these guys were always on the roster, at least they've solidified. They've shown us what they can do. Yeah, it, you're right. Like, they were on the roster. But, you know, I think back to just last season of Cedric Mullins, like, he had his chance at the very beginning of the season, and he flamed out immediately. And, again, I just wrote him off at that point. I was like, he had his chance. He's done. Like, it's not going to happen. So I, I agree with you, Jacob. I look at those individuals. I look at Mountcastle, who has to play some position out there. Um, and it, it does make sense to potentially put him at DH slash left field. Um, again, I don't know what's going to happen with using the LDS. You know, he's kind of in this weird, you know, we didn't hear much from him. So he may turn out to be something, um, but he could also just kind of just disappear into the abyss. But for the time being, I'm okay with a group of Ryan Mountcastle, Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, and Anthony Santander as the four outbuilders um, that can go out there and then saying, if we need an extra outfielder potentially to go fill in, um, you can call on, you know, a DJ Stewart, you could call on a Trey Mancini, you could even call up a, a used Neil Diaz. But I think going into next year, I'm okay with the four that I began with um, going into the 2021 season. All right, let's move on to third base. Let's talk about baseball. Baseball may be over here in Birdland, but baseball is still continuing. So, Scotty, do you have a rooting interest in the continuation of baseball? Who are you rooting for in the playoffs? Uh, I'm not rooting for anyone. Um, I just want to see pandemonium chaos, and I just want to see just really weird baseball. Um, Here's a question, because I have no idea, because I kind of checked out. Are we still doing ghost runners in the playoffs? Yeah, I don't know. I would assume that we are. Okay. I mean, what happens if you lose on the basis of a, of a ghost runner in the playoffs? Like, how would you react to that, Jake? I I would be furious. <laughs> I would be furious. I can, mean, can I talk about a few of the highlights that I'm looking forward to in the playoffs? Sure. All right. Uh, I'm just going to pull up Major League Baseball's playoff picture um, and this is a, you know, it's a nice little website that they've got for us. And, uh, you know, so they've got the, the playoff picture and in the first round, which on this graphic is brought to you by Hankook, the AL wildcard series brought to you by Hankook. Uh, you've got the four and five teams, the Cleveland Indians against the New York Yankees. Clearly I am looking for the Indians to advance in that round. Now, Another uh, matchup that I'm going to be really interested in will be the A's versus the the White Sox. I feel like these are you know teams that have not necessarily been uh, playoff powerhouses of late, and so I'd like to see one of those guys uh, you know advance uh, and get out there. Moving to the other side to the NL Wild Card uh, series again, brought to you by Hank Cook, apparently on this this uh, side, you've got the San Diego Padres who may be interesting because of some personal connection, but also, you know, kind of an Orioles model, right? Exciting young players. Uh, I, I, I want the Orioles to aspire to be the, the 
uh, Padres at some point. Um, but I think really where it gets exciting is the ALDS round, which is brought to you by Uts. And uh, I feel like that has a chance to be delicious. So I looked up whether or not the extra inning rule is being applied in uh, in in the playoffs. It is not, uh, thank oh, God. God. Um, so that is always good news. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. There are some really interesting teams out there. The White Sox, I, I'm still kind of shocked that the White Sox didn't win the AL Central. Like, they were so far ahead, and somehow they didn't win. It, it still kind of baffles me. Um, but I think the American League is going to be the more interesting portion unless the Dodgers somehow get skunked in this three game series like I can't see how the Dodgers lose um in the NL like I, I just they're just such a good team um so I'm really looking at the AL and being like who's gonna come out of the AL because you know the Yankees have been weird so far this season and maybe they turn it on right now in the playoffs but they just haven't put it together um so like I don't know who's gonna come out of the AL but you know, I would put a good amount of money that the Dodgers are going to be the National League representative. So, you know, a part of me is like, do I root for the Dodgers because, you know, it's been so long since they've got it. But then a part of me is just like, well, they're really just the Yankees of the National League. Um, and, and do I just go for the Padres? But then I'm like, but it hurts me to watch Manny out there being so good. Um, so, you know, I think I'm just going to avoid the whole situation and not be depressed. I mean, I've got a lot of things to watch in October and November that'll bring me about happiness, right? Yeah, absolutely, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I will I will admit I I used to just shut it off when the Orioles season ended and didn't didn't partake in the in the playoffs just because, you know, I got so tired during the dark ages, uh particularly early in the dark ages of it being, you know, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Red Sox. Like I just didn't, I couldn't stomach watching all that. The only uh, thing, the only thing I will say is like today was a truly a magical day because it was literally like back to back to back to back to back, um, you know, playoff game, playoff game, playoff game. Um, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why I actually like this sixteen game form, the sixteen team format is there is something magical about seeing those kind of games kind of line up together. And once you start to get into the championship series and the world series and games are being played at like eight 30 at night, games are going three to four hours. There's sometimes fun moments there, but it's not the same allure of, you know, afternoon baseball or just like the sun setting. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm a big proponent of, you know, those games that are being played at eight 30 at night being played a little earlier maybe starting at six o'clock, um, letting kids be able to watch it. Um, but I understand that there's issues of that in terms of, you know, West coast being able to watch the baseball games at that point. Sure. All right. Well, let's, let's bring it on into home plate. Let's talk a little bit about the 2021 season. All right. We, we already discussed the Orioles outfield situation. Let's talk a little bit about their starting rotation. Does this, uh, uh, starting rotation in, in 2021 provide you more hope than you had in 2020. We, we look forward next year to possibly having a return of Alex Cobb, of John Means, and I would say at this point Keegan Aiken has probably pitched his way into strong consideration to be on, on the rotation. That three 
compared to you know the solid three that we had coming in this season, which was a question mark Alex Cobb, uh, John Means, and Ash Wojciechowski. Yeah, so I mean, I would agree with those three names completely. Like, I, I think that um, Keegan Aiken did enough um, where I'm willing to, in essence, give him a starting pitching slot. And again, I wouldn't say he's a great pitcher, um, but he's done enough that I, I'd like to see more of him in, in 2021. Um, and, and I think, you know, Dean Kramer is in a very small sample size, a, a similar regard for me of like, I would like to see Dean Kramer start the season in the starting rotation to see what he can do with this team going forward. Um, he, he did get shellacked a little bit at the end of the season. Um, but I would like to see more from Dean Kramer kind of going forward. So uh, those are my four names um, at this given time. The fifth spot, I'm still, you know, I don't, I don't really care. I'm kind of, I, there's no one that I'm just like, that person should be in there as well. I think the bigger story for me going into 2020 is how strong John Means finished this season. I mean, he had a great September. Um, and that is so affirming <laughs> to me as an Orioles fan going forward because, you know, he had a great season last year. He started off this season, was gosh awful. Um, and being able to finish strong, at least it gives me some hope that, again, he has potential future value, maybe not as number one and number two, but again, as that number three, number four starter. So uh, I'm perfectly fine with the three you mentioned. I'd throw Dean Kramer in there as number four. And Jake, I do agree with you. I feel a lot better about the starting rotation um, that is kind of being thrown out right now at the end of 2020 going into 2021 than I did starting the season with the individuals that were named at that given time. That being said, I wouldn't push it too high. Um, I think when we started the season, I said the Orioles had the worst rotation in the league. I would probably put the Orioles at like the 20th or 22nd worst <laughs> rotation in the league <laughs> with this one. So it's like, it's an incremental improvement, but it's like going from an F to a D minus, and you're just like, hey, D minus didn't fail. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that I'm completely sold on this is the nucleus um, going forward that is going to um, resurrect the Orioles into a playoff spot. Would you be surprised to see Alex Cobb moved in the offseason? I, I wouldn't. Um, you know, I think the Orioles would want to do that. I just don't know. What team would want that? I mean, that's a lot of money, $13.5 million for for not much there. Um, so maybe the Orioles do it in the, if they eat some money. But I think like we talked about the trade deadline, I think Alex Cobb is probably the most valuable to the Orioles just on the basis of innings he could potentially eat for them um, as opposed to the Orioles trying to figure out who's going to fill that that role. Let me come back to, to innings pitched in just a second. I'd like to echo something you said about John Means and how affirming it was to see him pitch this season. Here's what I learned about John Means in 2020. John Means faced the darkness and came out of it, right? He pitched the worst in his career and had a series of just disheartening games and came out on the other side. And so if nothing else, I look at 2020 and I say, John Means can be a professional player at the major league level, a productive member of a starting rotation, because he can do what he did this year, which is get himself into the most dire of funks and then work his way out of it, right? Because he's got the physical skills, yes, but also because he has the 
you know, mental toughness to stick with it. And also apparently the ability to say, this isn't working. I need to try something else. I, I loved what I saw from John means uh, in his ability to turn his season around. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, um, I, I can't emphasize this as much. Like John means really was the best story for me in September. Um, and I completely agree with you, Jacob. We have seen time and time again, um, pitchers that we had high hopes for. I'm thinking like Jake Arrieta, Chris Tillman, and they get into these bad spots. And in essence, they almost like give up. They're just like, I, I can't make this happen. Um, and it was great to see John means, like you said, face that adversity and come out of it. And uh, I, it, it'll be really interesting um, in the future, you know, it, and this isn't going to come out in the next year or so, but this will be, you know, a future standpoint of like that conversation that Brandon Hyde and John Means had where Brandon Hyde was basically like, you need to figure this out. Like, this is your job to figure it out, get it together, and really had a heart-to-heart. Um, that's those kind of small moments as a manager that will never get, in essence, recognized because it's not something you can point back to and said that was something that was significant in terms of war or a win. Um, but that could potentially turn around someone's career and it could have lasting impacts um, going on for seasons to come. So, uh, I, like I said, I'm really, really pleasantly surprised with John Means in, in a really bad season for him. I was a little nervous with the starters this year because nobody went deep in the games. Yeah. Right. Uh, innings pitch is a real problem. I'm I'm hoping that that's less of an issue next season. I don't know if it was something specific to the this, this season being so short and the way that Hyde was trying to manage his bullpen uh, to to win as many games as possible, maybe trying to you know steal some asterisks or what. But man, those pitchers have got to go deeper next year. Yeah, I, I think it was part of that. I mean, the the all teams had a little bit more roster flexibility to basically pull in additional relief pitchers. Um, so I do think that Hyde was protecting his pitchers and saying, I'd rather not have you go a third time through the order, um, mainly because you're not that good. Um, and I don't want you to put you into a bad situation. So I think it's good coaching on, on his part and, and utilizing the resources that were available to him. I'm really not that concerned with, with starters going deep. Um, in reality, if our starters could go five and two thirds, I would be ecstatic. Like I would literally be skipping down the street um, because it, they don't need to go six or seven innings. They just need to go on average five and two thirds. Um, if they could go six, oh my gosh. I say I, I might even drink some uh, some shandy with you, Jake. So um, you know, <laughs> I I am not going to drink pumpkin beer. With you. <laughs> All right, so so we feel better about the starting rotation. I feel like the bullpen uh, core is in a pretty good pretty good place, and I think that that's interesting, especially with as many bullpen arms as they dealt. I think that Harvey Scott are are really talented arms back there. I think that Sean Armstrong is a is a very serviceable middle relief kind of guy. I think that I was impressed by the the step forward that I saw from Dylan Tate. But as far as the bullpen is concerned, one of the highlights for me was seeing the Orioles find a guy like Cesar Valdez and turn him into something, which makes me hope that you know it's not just drafting, but that you know, this, this Elias regime can find those diamonds in the rough and add them to an already, 
uh, talented core of the bullpen. Am I am I overstating my confidence in the bullpen? So I agree with you. I think there's some really interesting names that came out of it. Um, you know, Harvey, I think, did an okay job. Um, Tanner Scott, I think, was actually really good. I mean, I, I he was another individual that I had somewhat written off at this point, and, you know, I think that's good. Cesar Valdez is... I, I, I have seen the comments from, like, the bullpen coach where he's like, I think he could be a number one starter. And I'm like, we're talking about Cesar Valdez here. Like, like that's not going to happen. Um, again, 14 innings pitched. I, I think we've got to be really careful with the Cesar Valdez here in terms of, um, you know, making him out more than he actually is. Um, but, you know, I, I think ultimately there were some good moments, but I think the Orioles still need to find an additional two or three relief pitchers in their minors um, to bring in. Um, I, I felt like after the Orioles traded away, like a Michael Givens, a Richard Blyer, um, I still don't know if the Orioles found the next guys to be, you know, part of that bullpen. So I think it's going okay. to happen, but I don't think it's quite there just yet. So hear me out. Yeah. How about Stevie Wilkerson? No. Okay. All right. Uh, the infield, we've talked a little bit about uh, Jose Iglesias, who we just heaped praise on. He's got that club option. I, clearly, I think the Orioles take that. Have to. Would you Would you be surprised, though, to see them trade him? Um, if someone offered something really good, absolutely. Because the whole goal is to basically get him to the trade deadline and potentially flip them. So um, I think ultimately, yes, I would, I would, if there's a good enough offer out there, I would do it in a heartbeat, but I think there's got to be a good offer out there. Um, I would be thinking for $3 million for what he's offering. I'm thinking like, you've got to get back like a prospect that is like a, a number eight or number nine, in someone's organization, um, which would be a huge coup for the Orioles. Like, yeah, it'd absolutely. be a huge coup. Um, but I, I think I don't think that's going to happen over the offseason. I think you know teams are going to think that they can just sign someone as opposed to in essence trading for a one year rental. Um, so I think Jose Iglesias makes it onto the Orioles opening day roster, but I do think Jose Iglesias is eventually traded at some point next season um, to a team that thinks that he may put them over the edge. Um, but yeah, I, I I see Jose Iglesias on this 2020, 2021 team. All right, cool. So, uh, Hanser Alberto, you know, is a slam dunk for next year. I, I think Rio Ruiz returns. Um, what about Renato Nunez? Would you be surprised to see him dealt? Um, I don't really see a role for Renato Nunez. Um, I, I mentioned this before. Um, I mean, where where are you putting Renato Nunez on this team? Uh, at DH. I mean, but we have so many other DHs, like. At third base when Rio Ruiz is struggling. Yeah, I mean, you might be right. I mean, he is still arbitration eligible. Um, he's not going to be a free agent until 2025. He's still 26 years old. I I just, I don't see where he fits in. Like, he's not a third baseman. We've all seen that he's not a third baseman. So he's just a glorified DH. Like, I don't know. It's really tough. You're absolutely right. Like, he is a, he is a, good hitter i mean he is that 100 to 120 weighted runs greater plus dh that we always talk about but he doesn't have that much value like you think about dhs and they they're not that valuable um i don't know i i hate to write the guy off but a, a part of me is just like 
eh. like if you can't play a position, I can find other people to play DH. Here's the thing that's exciting. I don't think the Orioles are going to depend on him being on the roster next year, which was kind of unthinkable coming into this season. Right? True. true. Very true. Um, I, I think that's actually a really good point of, um, you know, coming into the season. It's like, well, we've got to have Renato Nunez on the team. But I completely agree with you of like, I don't think the Orioles are like, we've got to have Renato Nunez on the team. I, I don't, maybe they option him. I, I don't know. I don't even know that's a possibility based off his option situation. But um, yeah, I don't know where Renato Nunez plays next year. That's my biggest concern. Fair enough. All right. Let's talk about the catchers briefly. Uh, Severino is an ARB uh, player next year. He's in arbitration one. I, I think he's probably a slam dunk to come slam back. Dunk. What about you? Yeah, slam dunk. Okay. I, mean, I, I think that's the same way for Cisco. As, you know, there's nobody else out there. I mean, you're just waiting for Rutschman at this point, um, like you're waiting for Godot. Um, but um, yeah, Rutschman and, and uh, Severino and um, you know Cisco are going to be your number one and number two catcher uh, for. I don't know. I don't know how many other Orioles podcasts you can hear a waiting for Godot reference. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say, you know, now that the Baltimoreans are gone, we probably own the waiting for Godot market. Yeah. But I mean, I just don't see it. I mean, maybe there's a decision that needs to be made in 2022, but there's no chance that at the beginning of 2021, this decision needs to be made. So, you know, I think it's slam dunk for Severino. I think it's a slam dunk for Cisco. Um, and it's time to move on. Any 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 way that we see Adley Rutschman in 2021? Um, here's what I would say to that is it's possible. Um, you know, it. I think it depends on what the minors looks like in 2021. Um, because, again, we're just assuming that 2021 is going to be a normal season. But uh, I, I think there's not there's a possibility that it may not be a normal season, especially with all the weirdness that's going on in minor league baseball as of lately. If the Orioles are, if the Orioles are close at the end of 2021, I think you could see something like a Manny Machado situation where the Orioles bring him up and at least get him some additional time. And whether that pushes them into a playoff spot or not, that's a whole other matter. But I think it's a possibility. I put it at like 30. Um, so it's a possibility, but I wouldn't say it's a, it's a good possibility. All right, Scotty, let's. Let's engage in some wild speculation on the 2021 season. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. You had a real problem with the writer's choice of Anthony Santander as the Orioles 2020 MVO. Who is your most valuable Oriole in 2021? Uh, Jake, my most valuable Oriole for 2021 is going to go to John Means of the Baltimore Orioles. Wow. That is a great choice from your lips to God's ears. I'm going a little more sentimental, Scotty. My choice for most viable Oriole is going to be a triumphant return for Trey Mancini. Coming back, dominating at the plate, team leader, cementing himself on the club from here on out. Nice. Yeah, I think that would be great if that happens. Um, you know, I, I I wanted to go that way from my heart standpoint, but I'm going a little bit more mental slash heart at the same time. So uh, I, I, love, I love that pick. All right, 2021, who is going to be your best surprise performance? Sure. So I think my best surprise um, for the upcoming season is actually going to be Austin Hayes. Um, I think he had a kind of a mediocre season, but I think Austin Hayes gets it together and puts out a really um, good performance. Um, I think Austin Hayes becomes a a two to three war player 
2021 and really solidifies himself um, as the center fielder for the future for the Baltimore Orioles. Okay, here's my best surprise performance in 2021. My surprise performance is going to be Cedric Mullins. And I'm hoping that Cedric Mullins will cement himself as a platoon player at the major league level. It is, right? it is interesting that we both chose Hayes and Mullins. Uh, yeah. And it'll be interesting if the two players in tandem form that best surprise performance aspect. Um, yeah, I think that's, like I said, I think it's going to have to be those two players um, are, are going to be the ones that are going to be the most intriguing of which one takes the mantle is the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest with you, I'm fine with watching the both of them. Yeah. Alrighty. Let me ask you this. It's uh September 29th, 2020. The, the playoffs are still happening for this season, but let's talk about the end of next season. What is your wild speculation for the Orioles 2021 final record? So, I'm going to go right now with 70 and 92. 70 and 92. That's, um, you know, those are numbers. I am, I'm thinking that the Orioles are going to end up 78 and 84. Okay. So you think they're going to be flirting with 500. I think that they're going to perform about as well as they did under Lee Mazzilli. Is that good or bad? Uh-huh. Okay. Just, just want to confirm there. Uh, so once again, we're saying no playoffs for, for 2021. No. Okay. Um, but we're saying they maybe get a little bit better um, and they're getting closer. Oh, yeah. I, I think from what I've seen, I, I think we're we're inching our way. Okay. Um, and just to kind of close this out, we'll, we'll call this kind of going back to the dugout. Um, you know, we are, um, in, you know, year, I guess, two of the Brandon Hyde managerial experience journey. Um, you know, what do you feel like, um, what are your impressions so far with Brandon Hyde and are you satisfied so far with his performance in the dugout? Well, as far as in the dugout is concerned, I was really disappointed with him this season in the fact that there were no physical altercations with any other players. Um, you know, I feel like he set a really a really high bar for the number of uh, fisticuffs that he had with his players. No, um, I, I think Brandon Hyde is doing fine. Um, I'd be just as you said earlier. Uh, I'd be really interested to see you know how his leadership was involved in John Means turning his season around. Uh, if if he is providing the um, the environment in which guys like Cedric Mullins can can turn their season around, if he's providing an environment in which guys like DJ Stewart can play themselves basically out of the league and still feel like they can go down to the minors and come back and have a, have a shot, if, if he can provide an environment where players are becoming better at the major league level. Then I, then I think that he's you know the right guy for the job. I also, and maybe maybe you know I'm giving him too much of a free pass, but I don't remember too many games this season where I'm like you know gosh darn it Hyde you screwed this one up. That this clearly was you not pressing the right buttons, right? I still feel like we're in the spot where when the team loses, it's because the talent level is not there. So I, I think that 
I'm hopeful that he is in part responsible for the good things that are happening. And I really don't know that I'm going to be able to judge him until the games matter. What, what do you think, Scotty? I, I, I agree with you to a certain regard. I mean, when he was hired, I wasn't particularly pleased. Um, but, but that being said, you know, looking at what he's doing in the dugout, looking at what he's doing in the clubhouse, I, I look at it and I say, okay, it's pretty good. And I think, this is similar to the Hayes and the Mullins instance that I talked about earlier of they're not going to replace Adam Jones. And and, in the same regards, Brandon Hyde is not going to replace Buck Showalter from a personality standpoint. And I think that's tough for me and as Oriole fans, because we really like that kind of character and personality. It, it, it remanates or emanates back to like the Earl Weaver days. And, And Hyde is certainly not that kind of manager of being a Weaver and or a Showalter kind of character, as it were. But that doesn't mean that it's not still an effective way to manage. So, you know, I, I keep looking at the organization. I look at um, the development that is occurring both at the major league and minor league level. And, and at this point, I, I want to see more. And I think that's all I can ask for Brandon Hyde is to say, you're doing a great job steering the ship. Keep going forward. Let's see where we where we land um, in the next few years. Well, Scott, I think that that will put an end not just to this here around the basement segment, but it will also put an exclamation point on the 2020 season. That being said, let's go ahead, take a quick break, come on back and see for this week who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start out with the good. And this week, Scotty, I'm going to say that the good, for me, was none other than Pat Malaika. And look, he didn't get into the, the most games. He didn't have the most played appearances. But he did the most with them. And I will say that Pat Malaika was was good at what might just be the very last drop, Right. Pat Palaika had a, a larger role on this club uh, with the injury to Jose Iglesias. And at times, he was really, really fun to watch. I don't know that Pat Palaika, with his skill set, is really going to be a guy that gets a whole lot of playing time at the major league level. And so for him, a good a good ending week. 301 weighted runs created plus. Only a 7.7K percentage. Uh, the guy had a great week. Good for him. Yay. No, I completely agree with you, Jake. I mean, he he literally stepped into the situation as he was called upon, had some, you know, you know, game-winning moments too. Um, and he literally grinded it out, um, like you said, with every last drop. And now, you know, he can, you know, return into the sunset, return to Minnesota, and in essence grind out some additional hamburgers in Minnesota um and, and just satisfy the good people of the state of Minnesota with his, his burgers. So um, thanks a lot. Pat. I, love, like, uh, I love how self-referential this is. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. 
my good what do you is, got for- my good's gonna go to John Means. Um, you know, just looking over the past two games that he pitched, um, to a one point five four ERA, but you know, just looking at his numbers, you know, on the twentieth against the Rays, twelve strikeouts uh, against the Blue Jays, he had nine strikeouts. John Means, these are the kind of starts that I wanted to see from John Means to end the season. I got it. I'm I'm tickled and I'm I'm just extremely happy. So uh John Means gets my good. Um and like I said, I am just really appreciative that uh, he was able to go out there and uh be be so dynamic. All right. My bad for this week goes to Jorge Lopez. Lopez got a start this week, only lasted two innings, and it did not go well. Uh, you, this is the definition of playing yourself off of consideration for a team for next year. Uh, this, this was not not fun to watch. I will call that bad. Yeah, I think my bad is going to go to Rio Ruiz, who you know once again posted kind of a abysmal um, stat line of 217 average, 250 on base percentage, and a 73 weighted runs created plus. And you know, I, I look at his numbers for the entire season at 88 weighted runs created plus. And I'm left with a very meh aspect. And again, it was, you know, he didn't have very good defensive uh, plays as well. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see what the Orioles do with Rio Wies. I definitely think that he is going to return to the Orioles. I think he's going to play at third base. Um, I'll be interested to see what the Orioles do with him, specifically in terms of a data analytics and a program this offseason. Um, because I do think that he has a certain... Um, level of value um, that could be um, harnessed, as it were, by the Orioles and, and turn him into a really great player. So he's my bad right now, um, but I think he's a really interesting player to watch going forward for 2021. All righty, my ugly for this week. Now let's not just let's not just look at this week, Scotty. For the whole season, my ugly is the complete and utter lack of fantasy boss on Bird's Eye View. I know. I mean, in in this COVID era, I just didn't think it was appropriate for us to maybe making light out of you know stats and numbers accordingly uh, for this given time. These are individuals that are putting their lives on the line, and and why should we play a game with their life? I I agree. You know, fantasy boss was going to be weird in this shortened season anyway. But I I vow to you, bird's eye view listeners, fantasy boss will return in 2021 and my ugly is going to go to dj stewart who over the past two weeks um posted some really terrible numbers a 136 average a 283 on base percentage um a weighted runs created plus a 50 yeah dj stewart has a really good kind of breakout um portion of of the season um but again if we look at his entire numbers for the entire season um, we look at that 193 average, the 355 on base percentage, and I look at that 33.9% K rate, and I just wonder how sustainable is it that DJ Stewart's going to have an 18% K rate? So as much as we talk about DJ Stewart and saying, well, he's got to have a role on this team going forward, I think I still need to see some more from DJ Stewart. Um, and I would say that these past two weeks, have been more of an, an example of what I'm concerned about going forward with DJ Stewart in a in a long season. Sure. All right. Also, apparently, I really hate DJ Stewart, and that's why I always pick on him. Oh, of course. 
Of course, clearly, clearly. Well, Scotty, let's go ahead and take a quick break and then come back and blow the save. So, Jake, I've got a serious question for you. All right. What are we going to do about next year? About 2021. Yes. So, Jake. I assume, I assume that we'll be crawling out of our caves and back to, uh, back to civilization. Well, absolutely. So, Jake, we were not able to go to any baseball games in this given season. Um, you know, Camden Yards was not open. Obviously, the country is still going through COVID. My question to you, Jake, is a few. Number one, what is going to make you feel safe once again to go back to Camden Yards and enjoy a baseball game? I have no <laughs> idea. I have no idea. I am I am one of the biggest COVID ninnies that you will run into. Uh, I don't know. I don't have any idea. I, I, you know, we'll have to see where, where the world, where the country and where the state is at that point. Okay. And then my second question to you is as a, as a jumping off point for that is, um, you know, the Orioles did a great job this year in terms of, you know, coming back and saying, Hey, we appreciate you as season ticket holders, um, coming to us, um, you know, giving us your money. We can refund that to you or, we can hold on to your money and we will offer you a bonus of 125% in order to apply to next season. So, Jake, my question to you is, now that we have this 125% bonus, are we scaling it up to improve our seats or are we using that extra money to buy additional games in the 2021 season? Hmm. And it's a shame that we can't make that decision as the season happens. <laughs> uh, to see if it's worth it. I, I say we upscale. Okay, upscale. I I say we get to I say we get 25% more seat. All right. So we could do that. And that's that's option in door number one. Door number two, obviously, is just maintain the same seats and just kind of let the monetary roll over. Or door number three, as the COVID ninny that you are, is just saying, you know, we're gonna put this money down. But we're going to roll it all into going to a suite for one game and being fully protected from all the other uh, ne'er do wells that are going to be in that stadium. I like this idea. I like <laughs> can we turn can we turn an entire uh, season ticket uh, set for a single suite game? Uh, hmm. I mean, I don't think we have quite enough money based off our upper reserve seats. <laughs> <laughs> but what I would say is. We're, we're, we're getting closer and we're getting on our way. So with enough convincing of our wives, um, we may be able to convince them that this is a good idea. So uh, Baltimore. Dear Orioles, we want, we, want to, we want to turn this in for a broom closet yes. suite. So Baltimore, tell us what we should be doing with our money. Do you think we should hold on to our seats in 336? Do you think we should upgrade uh, potentially into the lower bowl? Or do you think we should just cash all our chips in all in one foul swoop and uh, go for one game at the sweep, which of course will turn into a game where like the Yankees beat us like 28 to three in classic bird's eye view fashion. So let us know what you think we should do with our, our, our monetary purchase and we'll go from there. Sounds good. And that, that is our show. 
Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media all over the place. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. All right, what do you want to call this sucker? still here? It's over. Go home. Go.